Welcome back to the Messy Financial Podcast. I'm Felipe Medina, Certified Financial Planner, Senior Vice President at IHT Wealth Management. And I'm Chad Sewell, Certified Financial Planner, Senior Vice President with IHT Wealth Management. And before we dive into um, our conversation today, we obviously have to cover our compliance guidelines and I'll take care of that now. Information mentioned may not be suitable for everyone. Information expressed does not take into account your specific situation or object objectives and is not intended as recommendations appropriate for you. Information has been obtained from sources that are deemed to be reliable, but their accuracy and completeness cannot be guaranteed. Always consult with a qualified investment legal or tax professional before taking any action. Investments involve risk and unless otherwise stated are not guaranteed. Past performance cannot be used as an indicator to determine future results. IHT is a registered investment advisor. And with that box being checked, uh, another wild day on the market for us today as, as we're recording this. Uh, today is you know Tuesday, March 8th. Uh, the first two days uh, of this week have been pretty, pretty wild with yesterday having a real, real downdraft in, in all three of the sectors, all, all, me, all three of the, the major indices, the S&P, the Dow, the NASDAQ. We saw 11 of the major S&P sectors fall more than 1% yesterday, while four, well, four of the sectors, financial, financials, industrials, discretionary, and tech, they all dropped more than 3%. So wild day yesterday and probably even a more wilder day today with the S&P and the market you know, running up real high in the very beginning of the day, then falling, then rising, then falling again, and ultimately finishing a little bit down. So, you know, with that crazy volatility that we've been seeing, you know, we really believe that there's really four major factors that are causing some of this extreme volatility, and, and they are, you know, inflation slash monetary policy with the Fed, obviously the war in Ukraine, energy prices, and the fears of a recession. So those are some of the topics that we're going to try to cover today for you. Uh, Chad, let's kind of get this thing kicked off with, with energy. What, what are some of the things that you're looking at with, with regard to energy and, and oil prices? Yeah, I think overall, I mean, as, as many of our clients are well aware, probably all of our clients are aware, we've been buyers of energy going back to last year, um, which had more, there are a variety of reasons from the companies and their cost cutting and then just a general supply and demand, um, the, the landscape between supply and demand was off. And so we felt energy was a good sector to be in both last year and, and this year. And, and so far that's been the case in terms of an investment side of things. Um, and now we're starting to see the downside of, of energy being the good investment and what, what, that's, what impact that has in the market overall. And I think right now, our thought is that markets are panicking about oil prices um, and specifically, which when you talk about the recession earlier, the increase in the price of oil and the economic hit or concern around a recession because of what has historically happened when we've seen oil prices run like they have just recently. And, you know, I think as, as this war or conflict or however you want to describe it has unfolded, um, the, the energy dependence, um, on Russia has become to the forefront and over the weekend, uh, and especially Sunday night, we saw the price of oil jump all the way up to $130 per barrel. And 
you know, you have pundits that are now panicking because oil price is over $100. Um, that that then leads to gasoline to soar to such a high level that that folks that are already um, compressed on their ability to pay the price at the pump, it only gets worse. And so, you know, you're, you're kind of having the consumers that's, that are not only shocked, but also are being squeezed financially. Um, and, you know, notably, this is <clears throat> what a lot of these pundits would point to is cause for the recession in the uh, early 80s, and then also back to 2008. Um, <clears throat> and so I think the market right now is wrestling with that and saying, okay, well, what, what does that mean? And, and, you know, to your point earlier, Felipe, about the market today, again, Tuesday, March 8th, <clears throat> being a unique day the big headline coming into the market open was that Biden was going to come out and, and talk about how we're no longer going to import uh, oil from Russia while this conflict is going on. And, you know, general thought on supply and demand there would be like, well, if we're taking away some of the import of, of Russian oil, then that should drive oil prices higher. But the initial reaction from the market was that it drove oil prices down and we saw both not only the oil prices, but also the energy companies getting sold off while the market worked inver inversely to that and started to rise. And so to me, it's just from a common sense level, that doesn't make any sense. If the market's concerned around energy prices, when a, a crimping on the supply exists, you would have felt, or it would have been logical, in my opinion, for the market to pull back and then for oil prices to, to soar. Well, a few hours later, that 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 kind of corrected itself, if you will, and uh, oil finished really strong into the day and, and the market finished really low. Um, but, you know, one of the things that we've done is we, we, we looked into um, from the research reports that we get just how, where we're at today in terms of oil relative to where we've been at. And, and again, notably to like 2008 or 1980, right now, price per barrel close to that $130 mark in 2008, it was 140. And then in 1980, it was 39.50 a barrel. Now, if we look at it from a standpoint of per capita gasoline use um, and how we, you know, have, or how this, this report was given to us, um, if you go to ProQuest Statistical Abstract of the United States, they, they run that consumption per capita based on what at least recent uh, census numbers show. And so where we're at right now is per capita, you have about 414 um, gallons of gasoline used currently. In 2008, 457. And then in 1980, it was 505. And so what that shows is just the dependency on gasoline has actually dropped uh, per capita. Um, compared to 1980, we're about 20% down. Compared to 2008, we're about 11% down. On the other side of that, if you look at it per capita income, today we're right about 64,000. 2008, we're just a touch over 48,000. And then back in 1980, we're just about $10,000. And so what that means in terms of how much gasoline or how much impact gasoline has in terms of percent of, of consumers overall wallet, in 1980, it was six and a half percent. In 2008, it was four and a half percent. And today it's only 3% of the consumer's wallet. So why do we bring this up or why do I make this point is 
the to me given the dependency on energy or or on gasoline or i should say the dropping dependency there's not as it doesn't feel like there's as much financial impact today as there was back in 2008 or 1980 and what what we would need to see to where for us the alarm bells would start ringing in terms of energy or oil being a big uh, economic concern that would push towards a recession is really oil oil per barrel getting over $200. I mean, at $200, it'd be about 4%. And so across the board, I, I think that some of this is just the short-term reaction to supply and the supply and the demand curve getting off a little bit. Um, and I think that this is just one of what the bigger issue is the war and the conflict this is just one of the tentacles of that and has been the immediate headline or the, the attention grabber for the near future. What are your thoughts, Felipe? Yeah, no, to touch on what you, you brought up earlier, and I was just doing some quick math while we were here on the phone uh, about how the market reacted so strangely today when we had um, obviously the banning of Russian oil. I, I just did it XLE, which is Obviously, the Energy Select Spider ETF fell 6% right after that announcement, which just seems contrary to what you would think would happen. Uh, some of the other oil ETFs and things fell more than that, 7 7.5%, then rebounded and, and finished up. But again, you would expect to see oil prices and, and energy companies, you know, prices go high, much higher than, than, than what they did. So it's just, it just very interesting to see how volatile and how crazy this market is and very headline driven. And we've talked about that in the past, that headlines are, are a real, a real, you know, mover of the market right now. Yeah. And I, and one of the things I would add into that is I think what has been most eye popping of this is the rate of change on the price per barrel. And, you know, as we walk through these numbers, this is, you know, theoretical explanations and, and consumers can panic and lose confidence over a variety of factors. So it, it, it doesn't mean that there's not legitimate reasons to be concerned. It's just from the standpoint of historical data, it would support saying, okay, for us to be where this starts to show as a recessionary concern, there's a pretty good runway between where we're at and where we would need to be. It's just, we took a big jump over the weekend in the price per barrel. Right. And, and I think, you know, to sum up kind of your points there, you basically are just saying that, you know, historical past that the, the, the amount of money that we're pushing out for gasoline isn't necessarily as high of a chunk of our of our average, you know, income as it was in the 80s and as it was in 2000. Right, exactly. So exactly. Yeah, and I think that kind of built leads leads, you know, real real well into the inflationary issues. Obviously, inflation's been a big topic, uh, obviously with oil, but obviously with across the board, you know, with lumber and and everything basically mm -hmm. from A to Z. And you know, short term, short and intermediate term inflation expectations. You know, as measured on a two and five year break even have actually reached their highest level since 2005. So, you know, it's, it's, it's something that it, it needs to be, you know, looked at. And obviously the Federal Reserve and the monetary pipe, uh, tightening expectations um, have been another sort of sore subject out there uh, with why, why the stocks have kind of come down. Um, historically, the biggest killer of bull markets has been the Fed raising rates too much and too quickly. And I think that the market little got a little ahead of itself and was really thinking that the, the Fed, with all its hawkish talk, and that means raising interest rates quickly, uh, was really kind of unnerving.
basically uh, last week, the Fed basically came out and spoke and basically said the market, you know, um, that basically uh, his testimony, or excuse me, his Chairman Powell's testimony in front of the House Financial Services Committee last week, he basically said that, you know, obviously the Russia's invasion of Ukraine is highly uncertain and the Fed will proceed, quote unquote, carefully, uh, while recent geopolitical events have driven short-term inflation worries higher, Powell's reassuring Congress last week that the Fed will get inflation back under control. Uh, but Powell also reiterated the Fed's plan to raise interest rates this month, given that the health of the U.S. economy and domestic labor market is really strong. So what he's basically saying is that the underlying U.S. economy is really, really strong and inflation is a concern. However, you know, they're going to have to be raising interest rates and be a little bit more cautious than they had been. Before, uh, before the market's real negative pullback here the last few weeks, the expectations of an aggress aggressive rate hike path uh, have dropped significantly over the last month. At the start of February, there was a 30% chance uh, of a 50 basis point hike uh, this month here in March. However, if you look at that percentage now, it's dropped all the way to zero as, as the market really expects just a 25 uh, basis point hike. So a less hawkish Fed may result in higher inflationary pressures for longer, but will possibly soothe and ease some of the uncertainty and fears of, of the market about the Fed raising rates too quickly and it having a severe negative impact on, on the economy and or the market. So, And one thing that I'd say to that, Felipe, is I know uh, we both sent out emails to our clients about two weeks ago, right before actually the invasion took place. And uh, one of the points that we brought up in that email was talking about, you know, the concerns haven't really changed over this. Um, probably energy has been ratcheted up just recently. But our, one of the points that I, I know we talked to in that, that email was um, that the Fed, like that, that one problem is almost solving another problem. And, and what I mean by that is, is because of what's going on in Russia and because of what you just taught or Russia and Ukraine, I should say, and because of what you just talked about, the concerns of inflation in, in the Fed tightening down um, was so high back at the start of February to where we're at now, where, you know, going from where they thought a 50 basis point rate hike was almost or well was highly likely, or I guess, I guess at 30 percent, that's not highly likely, but there was a good chance of it. To where now it's it's fallen off a cliff, and that the only expectation is a twenty five basis point hike, and and I think that if if assuming the war slash conflict, um, if it starts to resolve itself, this would be good news for the market um, that the the rate hike won't be as as um, aggressive as initially feared, and and you know something that will create a little bit of a nadir for the market to bounce off of. Absolutely. And again, like we just, we touched on in that email you just brought up, uh, one problem is kind of sort of solving another. And that's kind of what we're, we're looking at now is, you know, where are we? And that's a good segue into, you know, what have we been seeing, you know, recessionary wise? I know everyone's worried about recession and how this inflation can throw us into, inflate, into a recession and also how, this conflict, you know, can hurt global GDP. And I think they came out and just forecasted a 0.6% cut to global GDP because of this conflict. You know, what are you seeing recession wise, Chad? Do you, do you think there that we're 
moving into recession or or are you seeing anything that kind of says, well, you know, we're still relatively healthy, you know, domestically versus, you know, maybe some other countries and things like that? Yeah, well, I think overall, um, what I would say from a standpoint of of the health of our economy, um, and especially in the context of what's going on with the war um, or conflict, um, the the United States is positioned. I would say far better than something like Europe or even just looking at it globally uh, with the strength of our economy. And a lot of that ties into just the connectivity between us and um, in Russia. Um, but what I would you know focus on first, and I think that these things tend to go hand in glove, is just where the market's at overall and the strength of the market moving forward in kind of to me what would fly in the face of the, of a recession being around the corner um you, you know what Felipe, you and i were talking about before this podcast if we're looking at price and earnings ratios um looking at where we were at to start 2022 compared to where we're at right now and at the start of the year we we're at 18 times price to earning and now the price to earning is 16 times and so, or the PE ratio is 16.7 times. Two years ago, um, or just a touch over two years ago, back at the end of 2019, the market was trading at 18.6 times uh, on the PE ratio. And so you're looking at it, which doesn't, it, to me, it doesn't make a whole ton of sense that why are we trading at such low ratios? Um, when you have higher profit margins, lower interest rates, better pricing powers. And so the valuation for the valuation story for equities seems to be relatively compelling. Um, in addition, you know, you look at it from a standpoint of, of free cash flow. And so effectively, um, if you're not familiar what for, with what free cash flow is, is think of the cash that the that companies are able to pass back to or through to um, the shareholders at the start of the year, the free cash flow yield was about 5%. The free cash flow yield now is about five and a half percent. To use 2019 again as another uh, metric, the free cash flow yield at that point was 4.7. And so, from a metric standpoint, and looking at this through fundamentals, uh, the S&P 500 is is far cheaper now than it was two years ago. And that's all under the understanding of the growth of the market over the past, you know, round numbers, two years through through 2020, through 2021 to where we're at now. Right. And another reason why we feel, you know, recessionary risk is on a little bit lower side of things um, uh, is that you know, the favorite, my, our favorite, you know, recession leading indicator, which is the long-term yield curve, you know, has not inverted. And one of the things that has happened is over the last two major recessions, you know, 2008 and then 2020, we saw an in, uh, inversion of the yield curve, the long-term yield curve, about 24 months prior. So in 2006 and in 2018, we saw the long-term yield invert. And, and that was sort of a telltale sign that that the market may not be as healthy as we're seeing right now. 2022, though, has actually seen the yield curve steepen. 
And, and what that means is long-term yields are getting higher uh, versus short-term yields. You're not getting that, that, that inversion. So what we're saying is it may be steepening because that, you know, there's that major conflict that's going on right now. But again, historically, if you look at conflicts, you know, going back years and years and many different, there's many different to look at. Historically, wars don't lead to recessions. In fact, they usually normally do the opposite and lead to economic booms. You know, few reasons why depleted materials must be replenished. You know, markets are overestimating risk of the conflict getting bigger. Uh, so those are all things that are that are really interesting to look at. And again, the major thing that we like to look at again is that that is a, is a leading indicator is that long term yield curve, and, and it has not inverted. In fact, it's done the opposite. So that's another reason why we feel you know that recessionary risks, especially here domestically, aren't overly optimistic. And I don't think we're going to see one of those again. You know, again, there's obviously this this war and this or this conflict can can escalate and throw all these things off overnight. But if we're looking at it where we're looking at it from from right now, we're, we're just not seeing those major indicators that say, wow, you know, market markets either overbought or over or expensive, like you just talked about with PE ratios and free cash flow. We're not seeing the the long term yield curve inverting. You know, those are all things where we start to say, you know, stocks look expensive, yield curves inverting. You know, we might see some treacherous waters or recession, you know, in the next, you know, 24, 36 months that we're, we're just not seeing right now. Yeah, and, and, and what I would would just circle back to and make sure is abundantly clear for this podcast for folks that may not quite understand what the inverted yield curve is. But so, again, it's just that the longer term bonds, the yield that's coming out of those would actually be lower than what we're seeing on short-term bonds, which if any, as you listen to that, it just doesn't make sense, right? The longer out a bond is, you should be rewarded for keeping your money at that place for longer and get a higher interest rate from that. But when that yield curve inverts, that what that shows us is that, well, no, you actually get more money if you just keep your money somewhere shorter, you get a better interest rate. And so back in 2018, for you know those of you that were were uh, clients of mine anyway, that was one of the big reasons that um, I was pointing to saying, hey, it looks like we're probably getting closer uh, to a recession. And you know, sure enough, COVID hit, and that was a little bit unexpected in terms of why the recession hit. But those, those indicators were, were sounding the alarm bells that made it, under, made it easily understandable that a recession wasn't far off. Here, that's just not happening at all. And you know, like we often will say, we don't have a perfect crystal ball. We don't see the future, obviously. But even though history doesn't always um, repeat itself, it generally rhymes. And so using data like this from the past, it's you know, a good look forward. And one last little point that, that goes on to the to recession, and, and I think what ties in greatly the concern around the, the war or the conflict, however it's you know, being categorized, you just looking at the impact here, just for us domestically, um, the what, what one of the charts I pulled up, and it was actually through LPL's research page. Um, we don't have much uh, impact in terms of how much we we import from Russia, and so I think in in over the years we're looking at about of the total amount of imports we bring in, it's somewhere around something less than one than 2% uh, 
close to around one and a half percent of our total imports. And so domestically for us, and again, thinking domestically for equities, uh, we don't see this major financial impact. Globally, places like Europe, not necessarily the same story, but here domestically and here for us in terms of our local markets, that starts to change, or at least our, our opinion is that we, we feel far more confident in domestic markets than global. Well, and, and that's why I think when we had a couple of years back, if you think about the trade war with China, why it was a little bit different train of thought was we import huge amount of things and import uh, goods and services from China. And that's just like you said, to touch on that and reiterate that is we just don't do that same thing with Russia. It's very, very small amount of our GDP um, that we actually bring in from Russia versus where we, how much we actually bring in from China. And that's why issues and conflicts with China and other major trade partners would, I think, have a bigger impact domestically than like it would affect globally. Yeah, and, and, and to take this into our last point here, Felipe, and talking about the market, what a lot of what we've just gone through up to this point in this podcast is fundamental strengths, whether it be economic or even some of that with a little bit of touching on some of the market strengths with talking about the PE ratios and, and what have you. Um, but overall, one of the things that I would, I would point to, or in addition, I should say that I would point to is like just this last quarter's earnings reports, right? Another good quarter of earnings. And so the point that I'm making here is from fundamentals or the fundamental strength is, is high, right? very strong fundamentals out there. <laughs> However, what the, the market isn't reacting to fundamentals right now, it's headlines. And so what we're leaning on, and especially in the short run here, and, and part of what I've been talking about in emails that I've sent out to my clients is where you know some technical indicators and what we're going to watch here in the short term to help guide us through the next few weeks of what could still be some some choppy trading. What's the technical analysis showing, Felipe? Yeah, and, and again, thanks for bringing that up. That's that's a, a topic that we kind of pay attention to a lot, and you know. What we saw over the last few weeks had largely been more sideways trading than, than, than negative. But what we saw yesterday really took out one of the support levels that we had. And that support level is 42.50 on the S&P. So when we took that, that level out, it sort of turned things from sort of going sideways to more of a short-term negative trend. So while we see, we think that there still can be some choppiness and some weakness, we still feel that we're not ready for the market to go up significantly until we can reclaim that 4250 on a closing closing basis. So the S&P would have to close above 4250 for us to get a little more optimistic on where we see the market going over the next, you know, few weeks. Now, if we continue to trade in this short-term downtrend, the next meaningful support level is just under 4114 uh, from from February 24th. Uh, low. So we should see if we go that, you know, we could get close to that 4,000 level or roughly about what we calculate roughly 4% ish from where we are right now. And if that happens, that will uh, allow for what they call in the technical analysis world wave equality, where we, we touch back retested lows. And that's usually the sign of a bullish next few weeks or months if we have that retest and, and can kind of hold that. So Again, to kind of round that all up and tie that up into a nice little neat note here is right now, I think we, we might be short term continuing some weakness like we saw a little bit today. 
Um, the number we're really, really paying very, very close attention to is that 4250. Again, we think if it stays under that for a little while, I think the, the sentiment is that we might trade a little bit lower. Uh, but once we can recapture 4250 on a close, that's the number we're kind of keeping a close, close eye on. Yeah, and and on the downside, uh, the 4114, which was the day that uh, the intraday lows from when Russia invaded Ukraine. So, you know, when with all of this that's gone on effectively for the past two weeks now, the market's gone nowhere, right? We're right back to where intraday lows were. I mean, we're, we're a few points above that, but this current support level that is 4114. And then if we breach that or go below that 4,000 to fleet base point, we feel very positive if the market closes above 4250. But for right now, until that threshold is is reached or surpassed even um we feel like we'll be range bound for the near future um but good news behind that is, is when it is when we do get above 4250 we think um quite a bit of run into the market after that absolutely so hopefully you know we've covered or hopefully answered you know, some of your questions are kind of giving you a little bit more to think about and, and, and kind of giving you what we're thinking about with regards to some of the major factors that are that have caused a lot of this uncertainty in the market. Again, you know, please feel free to reach out to, to your financial professor, professional or Chad and I, if you have any further questions or want to dive into a little, this a little bit deeper, we appreciate you taking some time to, to, to listen. And, and Chad, do you have any closing thoughts? Yeah, I think just what you said, Philippe, makes is a good point to just drive home. Is obviously, you know, we're we're working through this. We're staying, we we stay attentive to what's going on in the market, and and thus to your accounts and your financial situation for our clients. Um, we, you know, this is dynamic, and when you have a conflict or a war like this, that creates more um, um, uh, volatility in the market. Um, but we're, we're giving what we wanted today to serve is to give you our thoughts on what we're seeing out there. Um, overall, our opinion on the long-term outlook and especially where we think the market will be your end hasn't changed. We just see more short-term pressures just because of how things have unfolded. But what we really want to emphasize is if you're having any questions or if there's anything you want to chat about, please do not hesitate to reach out. We appreciate as always you taking the time to listen to this. And again, any questions, any concerns, please feel free to reach out to us. We hope you have a wonderful day. And thank you again for listening.